Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today, you're going to be talking with, well, you're going to talk with me, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com and host of the Peristyle Podcast. I'm going to do a solo podcast. No previews this week since USC has a bye week. Finally, after 12 weeks, I wanted to answer some of the questions that you guys still have been sending in after USC defeated UCLA 28-23 to in the Coliseum. We planned actually on having... Uh, Keely Yor, uscfootball.com reporter, joined me today. She's feeling under the weather, uh, apparently much more under the weather than I am because I'm still under the weather. Uh, I just had like a vitamin C smoothie. Hopefully that helps. Um, so unfortunately, Keely will not be joining us, so you're stuck with just me. We had a bunch of questions, so I want to do my best to go through them all, answer them, talk about what's been going on with this team. Uh, pretty much an off week. Uh, for the Trojans, no media availability. There's one scheduled walkthrough that we know of. Uh, so not a lot of practicing, not a lot of prep going on. It seems like Clay Hilton wants this team to rest and regroup, and then they'll start back again on Monday with a full practice, uh, normal kind of game week practice. It'll be one day early because the game is on a Friday night instead of a Saturday. So uh, USC will be getting ready for all that. So it's kind of a week off for us uh, and, you know, we're still going to do podcasts. We're still going to talk about the team. We'll talk about the bye week. And then, of course, next week, more shows talking about USC and whoever they end up playing. So we don't know at this point. It's either going to be Washington State uh, Washington State, or it's going to be Stanford. So we'll find out this weekend. It depends on the Apple Cup. Uh, we'll see Saturday when Washington State goes to Washington. If Washington State wins, that means Washington State will be USC's opponent. They will represent the North in the Pac-12 championship. If not, it will be Stanford who's playing Notre Dame. And they will make the short drive from Palo Alto to Santa Clara to take on USC and be a rematch in either case. Okay, so like I said, lots of questions today. If you have a question for us, uh, send it in. Email us at podcast at uscfootball.com or you can call. The number is 424-254-9141. we got some voicemails to play today. That's 424-254-9141. Excuse me. You can also send us a text at that number as well. So send us a text. Um, send us, Leave us a voicemail. We've got some voicemails that are like two minutes long. We can't play those. Unfortunately, they're too long. So try to keep them under a minute. And we'd love to play them. Get your voice here on the Peristyle, po- Peristyle Podcast. Before we jump into that, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job on over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts in smart marketing technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. No wonder 80% of employees who post on ZipRecruiter get quality candidates through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So you can find out today why ZipRecruiter 
has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find out the most qualified candidates with immediate results. And right now, all my listeners on the Peristyle podcast, you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. Free for all of our Peristyle podcast listeners. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash style, S-T-Y-L-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash style. That's one more time, ZipRecruiter dot com slash style free job postings right there styles for peristyle for the peristyle podcast so go to ZipRecruiter.com slash style and they will hook you up with the uh, free job posting so if you're if you're hiring someone uh, it's a great way to do it go check it out uh, ZipRecruiter.com slash style okay so maybe we'll start off with a voicemail uh, we got a bunch of questions so I want to try to to get to all of them I, I know you, a lot of patients a lot of people have been sending in stuff um, and we, we answered a lot of questions on Harvey Hyde show. We answered a lot of questions on Dan Weber show. We still have a lot of questions left over for those guys for next week. And uh, we got a bunch more. So that's what I'm doing here to, to answer those. Again, I apologize for Keely not being able to be here, but I'll do my best. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. So here's the first one. Hi, this is Trent from Sacramento. I uh, just wanted to thank you guys for all the work you do each week. It's really insightful. I uh, just had a couple notes on the season so far. Uh, I, th- I think the t- defense has been taking way too much heat this season. Um, you know, that's been the unit that's been keeping them in games for an underperforming offense. you got the front seven just doing a great job week in and week out. Uh, Lieutenant Nuosu has been a standout. The defensive linemen have been great. Um, obviously, I think the secondary play needs to improve. Uh, and I, I don't think that comes from the players. I think that comes from finding our deal in McCullough as a secondary coach. Uh, you know, the development of the players – you know, it just doesn't seem to be there with Iman Marshall, Jack Jones, even Adoree Jackson to a certain extent. Uh, those guys are just athletes making plays. Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, I think some of those timeouts that are getting called stem from three guys trying to call a play. And that's, you know, we're wasting timeouts. We've got to stop doing that. Final note, when we throw the ball deep, we've we got to stretch the defense. Let's use the size of the big receivers. You get Pittman or, you know, Tyler Vaughn's out there. Let's use those guys when we go deep. Unless we can get Mitchell to run by someone, thanks. Fight on. All right, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, for the defense, I think that has been getting probably too much heat. Um, now the secondary has, has certainly underperformed. Mostly the corners, more so than the safeties. Um, just a lot of breakdowns in coverage, and I, I think you're asking a lot of these cornerbacks to play a lot of man coverage. Um, they're in one on ones a lot. And uh, but the development hasn't really been there. There's five star dudes all over the place, and they're just not performing up to the the correct level there. Uh, as far as timeouts go, yeah, I think I mean my theory's been a lot of that. There's too many cooks in the kitchen. I've talked about that before. Um, I'd rather just have some one guy calling all the plays and not someone in the red zone, someone on third down, and all that kind of stuff. If you know if the if the offense is looking kind of weird at times, and you know that's the way plays are being called, then you know that's obviously something that you would want to question. Like, hey. Um, what's going on there? And as far as the big receivers go, yeah, I think they haven't used the personnel. I think they've tried to get the ball to certain people at certain times, but there's other guys that are really good. I mean, Tyler Vaughn's really good at high-pointing football, so if you want to toss the ball high to him, Michael Pittman's a big dude. You know, we saw that fade. I mean, there's um, there's some guys I think you'd rather get the ball to, and I think their catch radius is bigger than other people. So, there's better opportunities for them to uh, to make catches on balls like that. So, yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, all good points. Thanks for sending in that voicemail. Um, 
We had one uh, voicemail from Curtis in Marino Valley that was just too long to play. Uh, but he's a, an old defensive back. Uh, he does he coaches defensive backs, I think, for Pop Warner. And was talking about, I think it was over, over two minutes long, but um, talking about playing man coverage like we just were, were mentioning. Um, there's not a safety there most of the time in these defensive schemes. So if the blitz isn't getting there, he's saying it's going to be a really hard job for the corners. And we've certainly... Uh, seen that he does, you can't always look back when the safe, when the the receiver's looking back because you can get burned on double moves. Uh, it's a really difficult spot that they're in, and uh, no, I would I would I would agree. I think they're in one on one spots more than most, um, but they're getting burned a lot too. So either you have to change your defensive scheme or uh, change the way the players are playing because it just seems like you know it's it's really there's a lot of big breakdowns and maybe in the overall scheme of things. If Clancy Pendergast like, yeah, we'll give up a big one every once in a while, but we're forcing negative plays here. We're doing this. We're sacking the quarterback. So every once in a while, you're going to get um, negative plays like that. So maybe that's what uh, Clancy's thinking, but it's 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 his team effort there. But the glaring, um, the the hard parts, you know, the, what we're seeing where there's problems are definitely been with uh, the cornerbacks. And I'm actually going to work on a piece using some pro football focus numbers uh not really great grades for usc cornerbacks as you can imagine uh, we got a text message said hey ryan this is amy usc alum based in nashville a couple of questions for you have you heard any strong slash credible rumors of t martin taking over the tennessee job um <clears throat> well amy i'll start that right there uh no uh, my wife is pretty dialed into all of this stuff and uh you know, I think there's his name has come up for sure, but I don't think the power brokers. I mean, they're like trying to get like a John Gruden. Like, uh, T. Martin just doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Like, I think he could be a, a good coach there, but um, you know, he's only a year, you know, two years as an offensive coordinator. Like, I think they want someone with head coaching experience. Is my guess, but I haven't really heard like, I mean, how credible are some of the rumors anyway? But um, no, I, I think he was probably on some kind of list, but I would think he's a little further down. Um, but yeah, and I think T's the guy that gets a lot of uh, undue criticism as well. So, um, but yeah, we'll see. He said, I haven't seen his name thrown around much in the speculation compared to others like John Gruden, but he seems like a great fit given USC is frustrated with him and Tennessee is trying to return to their quote unquote glory days. Do you think recruiting would be effective sub- substantially if this if that did happen? I think, if, you know, USC losing T. Martin, certainly recruiting would be negatively impacted substantially he is the best recruiter by a lot i think on the staff he said do you think clay would promote tyson helton um my gut would be yeah like so if t left for some job um that i think i think tyson helton would be the guy to get recruited he said also just curious i mean it would also he would be promoted uh, I know he's extremely talented, but do you think USC is featuring Michael Pittman Jr. in the offense more in an effort to appease his dad as well as the fact that they're recruiting his brother? Just wondering how much of those types of things influence play calls, etc. Thanks for all you do. That's from Amy. Hey, Amy. Yeah, no, I, I said that in the beginning. I thought, you know, his dad being a squeaky wheel wasn't going to hurt him. And uh, certainly it's been better since then. Um is it a major impact? I don't know. But, I mean, I think in situations like this, it's like, especially if the offense isn't playing all that well and you got talented players that aren't getting the ball a lot, you know, maybe give them a shot and, give them, and try to get them the ball. Now, he had that huge play, the punt return. Um, obviously, he's been involved in special teams more, but you want to see him get more involved in uh, 
in the receiving game, and I think that's certainly happening now. Well, thanks, uh, Amy, out in Nashville, where my wife is from. Uh, let's go to Brian in Bakersfield. Sure, it's great to be a 10-2 team. Chance at a conference championship and major bowl. However, this season or team feels like a disappointment. I never feel comfortable they'd win any of the 10 games they did and find myself uh, waiting for something bad to happen. When will this coaching staff be held accountable for the poor job they did? And yes, the team won 10 games, but that was mostly having better athletes and lucky breaks. Uh, so Brian from Bakersfield, a lot of people feel like you do. Uh, we're seeing it on Twitter. We see it on our message boards. Um, I mean, there are facts, though, that the team is 10-2. Uh, they did clinch the Pac-12 South. Um, they, you know, they won the Pac-12 South, clinched it early, uh, beat everybody in the Pac-12 South. They haven't lost at home in two couple years. Like they're Clay Hilton sixteen and zero at home. I mean, there's a lot of good things. Um, have they looked great? I think they look great in like one or two games. Stanford for sure. I think Arizona State was a pretty good one on the road. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of the games they just didn't look all that great, and they did enough to win. So I think that's. I mean, I I certainly see the problems. There's there's a lot of problems, and I think there's fixable mistakes. And you go through 12 games and you really didn't see them, anything get fixed, which is, is kind of concerning. But I think you also have to look at that USC's always been more talented than pretty much everybody. So when Steve Sarkeesian was losing a bunch of games or Lane Kiffin was losing a bunch of games, and you look at those teams, they were more talented and they would still lose games and look bad in games that they won and you know there's problems kind of going into it. And then you look at back at the end of the season, you kind of forget the games you won, that there were problems. Like last year, there was problems, and USC won the Rose Bowl, and, and you kind of forget about those. And I think the same thing this year. If USC wins the Pac-12 and, like, goes and beats somebody good in the Fiesta Bowl, like, I think you'll forget that, uh, you know, it, you had to go to overtime against Texas or, um, you know, Western Michigan you struggled against or you were tied in the fourth quarter and stuff like that. I think you forget that kind of stuff if you finish the season strong, and I think Clay Hilton has a chance to do that. Now, the problem is if he doesn't, and they don't win the Pac-12, and they're going to be a, a fairly good favorite in that game, no matter who they play, uh, there's going to be a lot more pressure there. Um, I think the coaching staff is is being held accountable by the fans. Fans are not happy with the 10-2 and season because of what you were saying. Um, but I think the one aspect that maybe people overlook is at least they're able to win these close games late. When their backs are against the wall, they do they they pull it out and they're able to to get wins. Where we've seen Sark teams or Kiffin teams um, fall behind late and just collapse. And this team doesn't collapse. Now, a lot of the naysayers will say, or at least the naysayers toward the coaches, the only reason that's happening is because of Sam Darnold. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that's a legit, that, that's a fair point. Like, that we could be. It's hard to say, like, you know, what is it? Um, but having Sam Darnold certainly helps those, you know, late season comeback. Like, he's a quarterback that could put a team on his shoulders and, and carry it. Josh Rosen across town. He's a te- guy that can do that. Like a Cody Kessler we've talked about before. Great quarterback, great stats. He's still in the NFL. Um, but we just never saw him kind of a lot of times put the team on his back it was a, he was a better much better quarterback when like everything's on schedule I think Jake Browning and Washington's the same way he's a great quarterback he was offensive player of the year in the Pac-12 last year but he's never had a come from behind win until this past weekend 
Um, Darnold's had a whole bunch of come from behind wins. Now, sometimes you're just in that, you're not in that position all that much, but um, certainly uh, all of those are, are interesting factors, um, you know, as far as why fans are, are not satisfied with a 10 and 2 season. I think if they win the Pac 12 championship, you should be more satisfied. That even if you hate Clay Helton, you hate the coach, whatever, winning the Pac 12, you should feel at least more satisfied. Like that should be a satisfying thing to win the conference because it hasn't happened since 2008. Let's go to the next question. It's voicemail. Hello, Ryan. This is Marcus calling from the DMV. Um, I just have a question. Uh, I think I heard on the podcast yesterday with Harvey Hyde about how the coaches' contracts um, haven't been renewed uh, for football. And I'm just wondering if um, this is one of Swan's first steps in terms of uh, how he sees the program heading in the years to come. So, um, you know, perhaps uh, you have a comment about that or maybe you, you have more to add. Anyway, fight on and thank you for all that you do. Hello, Marcus in the DMV. Um, yeah, so there weren't any kind of extensions or anything. So it's not like people weren't renewed. They were, I mean, they had contracts, um, but there there weren't like extensions given. Now, Lynn Swan will have to make some tough decisions after this season. And I think a lot of it depends on what happens in the next couple of games. So um, if USC wins the Pac-12 and, and wins the Fiesta Bowl, um, I would think there'd be some sort of extension given to Clay Helton. And, you know, now maybe there's some pressure to uh, make some change over on the staff. I kind of th- feel there will be. I kind of think there should be. Um, but this is, you know, they didn't give him some kind of extension after the Rose Bowl. And I think Lynn Swan's, from the you know stuff we're hearing about Lynn Swan, is he doesn't like, you know, 10 and 2 is fine. He wasn't all that happy with just a Rose Bowl win because they didn't win the conference. So I think winning the conference is very important to him. And USC wins the conference or not, I think will change a lot in, in Lynn Swan's mind. Uh, but I think he aligns with a lot of the people that are upset about not looking good in a lot of these wins. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's a problem for him. He wants this team to, to look better and, uh, you know, we'll see. So, but winning the next two games, I think would go a long way towards to doing all that. Will it change? Uh, that will it mean that he doesn't have to get rid of any coaches? I doubt it. I think, you know, you probably lose one or two, uh, but he's probably got to get rid of a couple too, I would think. Let's go to Don. He said, I think Jim Mora got fired after UCLA looked foolish on that punt return. Wasserman, so he's talking about Casey Wasserman is a big, the IMG and uh, UCLA booster. Wasserman probably called UCLA AD. If Helton has to battle a very good coach at UCLA, like Kelly, Whittingham, etc., USC could be in for trouble. Recruiting advantages will disappear little by little. And inferior coaching will put USC behind UCLA. As a USC fan, I'm worried. Helton better upgrade a staff. Certainly DB coach needs to be replaced by one who can instill discipline. Uh, Don. Um, interesting, Don. Yeah, so I've always said that, so not everyone agrees with me. I know Dan Weber does not. Uh, there's a bunch of people on Twitter that think Chip Kelly would not be good in college anymore, that the game's passed him by, that he's a blah, blah, blah. But I mean, if you look at Scott Frost, he's running Chip Kelly. You know, he learned from Chip Kelly and he's got UCF kicking it, you know, and he's not Chip Kelly. He's like, he learned from him. I think Chip Kelly comes back to college and he kicks ass. Now, is USC ever going to like be out recruited by UCLA or anyone else? Like, I don't really think so. I mean, it would have to be a pretty big gap, but I think if someone like a Chip Kelly could come in and 
make the pro- program relevant and get some some star players, some certain uh, skill guys would want to go play for him that maybe don't want to play, you know, would, would rather go there than, than USC. I'm certainly, it would help uh, recruiting and everything. Um, USC is still the team that, to beat for all the local five stars. Like, it's just always going to be that way. But I think Chip Kelly would chip into that more than, than others. And I, I think, yeah, I, I think you get a guy like that, that shows UCLA is very serious about college football and making this team a winner again. Um, you know, I'm sure he put together a great staff. I think Chip Kelly would kill it in college. I think that puts USC on and Lin Swan on notice that like, hey, you need this, you need that. You you got to upgrade things if you want to be able to compete uh, with that. You got to do a preemptive strike there. So, um, I yeah, we just don't know. That's the biggest question to me is what does Lin Swan, if he, if does, what does Clay Helton want to do with his staff? Uh, because they have a successful season is he's like, I'd rather just keep everybody the same when there's some, you know, obvious places, you know, Don mentioned that, you, you probably could use some upgrades. Uh, we saw Dylan McCullough um, brought in, and he's killed it. Like, you get a couple more coaches like that. I think you can really help the overall team and the overall staff. But will Clay Helton do that? And if not, will Lynn Swan force Clay Helton to do that? We'll see, because there's going to be a lot of chirping about that. Let's go to Geo. He said, Ryan, you've been around Clay Helton and seen him work with his players. Uh, what is there in Helton's personality slash slash character, slash experience that leads you to believe that his Trojan team will be more prepared, driven, disciplined, and able to execute more effectively going forward. Um, okay, so in his personality, his character, or experience, uh, no, I mean, I think overall, it's like hard to quantify any of that, but I would say he's a young head coach that's learning on the job, and you just want him to be able to learn uh, from mistakes. And I think he started to play a little looser after the Notre Dame game where maybe they get a little too buttoned up. Um, but, you know, I think they adjusted after that. So I think that's a positive sign. I think Lane Kiffin kind of got too buttoned up after 2011 and they never really loosened up when things started to go south in 2012. So they never learned from that. So, yeah, USC had the, you know, terrible game against Notre Dame. who doesn't look like, an, you know, all that great of a team right now. We'll see what they do against Stanford this weekend. But I think they've made some adjustments since then. So I, th- I think there's some positive stuff there. Is he doing everything right? No, but um, I think he's made some adjustments. And, and if you're looking at something that, uh, you know, a little uh, beacon of light to, uh, <laughs> to look towards, I think that's a possibility there. He said, second, if you were forced to create a hierarchy of Pac-12 coaches, where would Helton rank? For this exercise, let's assume UCLA lands Chip Kelly. Look forward to hearing your thoughts. Fight on. Geo in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, from the land of the other USC. We we actually did this on um, our podcast of champions, the Pac-12 stuff, kind of ranking the coaches. Now it's hard. Like, where do you put Justin Wilcox? He's been there a year. Where do you put Willie Taggart? All that kind of stuff. Um, I I mean, just to be like, I wouldn't put Clay Helton as even though he's had success last year, um, you know, in the top five or six or something. He wouldn't be in the top half for me. Um, now. That might not be all that fair because if, if you look at you know his results to compare to other results, like okay, who had, you know, you could say David Shaw's had better results. You could say, um, you know, Chris Peterson went to the playoffs, so he's had better results. Um, you know, has Mike Leach had better results? No, I mean if they win the the championship this year, but I think he's showed you know, I think he's done more with less up there at Washington State. 
Um, so we'll see. But like, as far as like, if you were going to pick a coach to run your program, and I and David Woods, my co-host for that, was talking about well, what if, you know, what if Clay Helton was coaching Oregon State? Like, where would they be? He, so he's contending that because USC gets all his talent, that's why they've had the results they have. So because Clay Helton's only been coaching for two years, it's hard to kind of rank him and all that stuff. But I would. You know, I've seen track record of David Shaw and Mike Leach and Chris Peterson. And like, so I would put those guys certainly uh, above him. Uh, let's see. Eric and Duck Country, you know, not to say that Clay Helton can't, you know, five years from now, if he's won some titles and, and just stuff like that, yeah, he'd, he'd be, you know, way up there. But uh, it's just hard to say after two years. Eric and Duck Country, who do you think UCLA's next coach will be? Thanks in advance. I don't know. Um, Chip Kelly is is a real thing. I've heard sources say that, you know, he would prefer a job like UCLA that's not as much of a fishbowl as Florida. And other people say that he's using UCLA to get more money out of Florida. I could see both those things being true. But my gut says that it's going to be Chip Kelly at UCLA. That's what I guess. And I don't think that's a a great thing um, for USC because I think he's going to be an excellent college coach again. Uh, now, a lot of people disagree with me. I said probably most people don't disagree with, but there's a bunch of people that do disagree. And that's what's going to be fun. We'll see. I think he's going to make the team relevant instantly, which, Buzz, what did Jim Harbaugh do? Like, has Michigan won like a crap ton of games? Like, yeah, they've lost a bunch. They've been okay. But he's made that team very relevant. And Chip Kelly would make that team very relevant. And when we were talking about who USC should hire the last go around, and people would ask questions like, so I said, well, okay. What, people, I would say Chip Kelly, and they were like, don't know, USC shouldn't do that, the show calls and all that, whatever, all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, if you're Jim Moore, I sit at your desk across town at UCLA, and what's going to scare you? Like, oh, they're going to keep their offensive coordinator, interim head coach, Clay Helton, is going to stay and, and keep coaching. Like, is that going to make Jim Moore bat an eyelash? No, I mean, it's like, okay, well, you still got to beat USC. It's the same guy we've seen. He's been around the program for a long time. Like, I don't think that changes Jim Boras, who's no longer there. But um, at the time, two years ago, I don't think it you know impacts him at all. If USC came out and announced, you know, we're really happy that, that Clay Helton was able to come in again for a second interim run and, and keep this team stable and together. But going forward, we have hired Chip Kelly. That's going to make Jim Moore sit up in his chair and go, whoa, you know, like that's going to make an immediate impact. So that's what I think would happen at UCLA. That's an immediate impact. And especially when you go from a defensive minded coach to an offensive minded coach, like look what happened with the Rams, like, you know, just complete turnaround. We've seen that in this city. So that's my thoughts. I think it'll end up being Chip Kelly. Uh, We will see. Matt from D.C., our team ranks number 14 and the team defense number 77. Let's quit second-guessing the offensive play calling. I'm sorry, team offense, he said, ranks 14. Team defense ranks 77. Let's quit second-guessing the offensive play calling and focus on the real problem. Do you think we can eventually win a championship with Clancy as the defensive coordinator, or is this our ceiling, Matt from D.C.? Um, Yeah, I think you're, you're looking at just like, I don't think those rankings like really reflect exactly what's going on all the time. Um, I mean, USC is getting a lot of yards. You want to look at yards, like you know, points, you know, points per drive. There's a lot of advanced stats and metrics that you can look at that don't show USC ranked all that high as far as the offense goes. And I would argue that the USC is a lot more talented on the offensive side than they are on the defensive side. Like 
will Ronald Jones be a first-round pick? Like, I think he could be for sure. Will Sam Darnold? Certainly, he'd be a top-five pick, or you know, he might be the number-one pick overall. Um, who's a first-round pick on the defensive side? <laughs> there isn't one. Like, Rasheed Green's not going to go in the first round. I don't think. Um, he'll probably be like the highest ranked guy. Like, you know, Cheddar Wusu has been a great player. Is he going to be a first round pick? No. Like, so I think there's a lot you can look into that, Matt. I think, uh, I think that, you know, Clancy's done more with less. I think he's done more with less than what, um, now you could argue the secondary has a lot of five stars. That's probably where the most concentration of highest, you know, recruiting rank talent is, and it's underperformed the most. So, um, I, I think they got some problems that they can clean up on the defensive side, but. Overall, you know, I, I like Clancy's schemes. It's like you got he has a plan and he does things. It doesn't always work, but you're always doing something. I think on the offensive side, it just seems like, like Dan says, like kind of grab baggy. It doesn't seem like, hey, here's our plan this week. It's like we're running, we're running, we're running. Oh, now we're going to be passing, we're passing, we're passing. It just doesn't seem like we're on the defensive side, you know, like, hey, this is the plan. Up oh, they're the plan a lot of man and that guy got burned. <laughs> but but that was the plan and they got a bunch of sacks and they forced some negative plays. Um I like that they force negative plays, you know. That's that's great. And uh but you you if you don't get there, you don't force a negative play, sometimes a big big play happens the other way. And we've seen that a lot. Let's go to Nicholas. He said, Hey, this is my first question for the podcast. Well, thanks, Nicholas. I'm glad you could write in. When USC hired Clay, I truly didn't understand it. Same with Lynn Swan, the A D. But it seems to be working for USC. A lot of people online uh, seem to say it's Darnold saving Clay. But Darnold this year hasn't been that wonderful. I think Clay can save his career if he makes adjustments. I do believe Tyson and T. It's, it's funny that Clay Hill has to save his career. Um, <laughs> he's he's 10-2. And, two. and he, you know, with a nine-game winning streak coming into the season. So you're talking about he's 19-2 in his, his last 21 games. Um he said, I do believe Tyson and T don't work together. And if T doesn't split, Clay needs to man up and let it be all T. If not, Clay should be fired. I do believe that Clancy Pendergast needs to go. His philosophy doesn't work for USC, and it clearly shows. Despite being aggressive and having good sack record, I think he should be out. If not, Clay should be fired. So, okay, he's putting down ultimatums. With the D.C. position needing a fix, Lynn should go after uh, Pete, and it's... Uh, Kwiatkowski, I, Kwiatkowski, I believe. Uh, Clay only makes three mil, and we know USC has the ability to, to offer the goods. USC should heavily offer uh, Pete and see what happens. This is where Lynn should do his job, be aggressive, because I think uh, it would be in Pete's best interest to coach at USC over UW. So he's talking about Washington's uh, defensive coordinator. What are your thoughts on that okay so we talked about the defensive coordinator stuff a little bit earlier and i apologize for this pronunciation i think it's kwaitkowski i keep i always forget how to pronounce that name but um so he's been with chris peterson uh i think back from like 2006 or something uh you know he's at boise state and then followed him to washington i just kind of think he's one of those guys he went to boise state i kind of think he's one of those guys that's just going to stay put uh where he is now you know, you know, USC. If something happens and they get rid of Clancy, which you know, we disagree on that, Nicholas. But um, yeah, I mean, you, I, I think you just go out and get a really good one from somewhere, and it, you look at a guy like him. Um, but you know, his situation probably not ideal because they've been together for a long time. He's a Pacific Northwest guy. It's not just easy to get a guy like that to to jump and 
go to Los Angeles just because it's looked at as a better job or whatever. So, um, but yeah, that so Nicholas thinks that there's a lot of th- reasons to fire Clay Hilton if you don't get rid of uh, certain people. So thanks for that question, Nicholas, and uh, appreciate you writing in. Robin in Virginia. Hey, Ryan, I'm one of those USC fans who are not satisfied with how, in all caps, the team has performed this year despite the 10-2 season. They played a lot of teams who made a lot of mistakes, and USC didn't take advantage. USC has the ability and potential to blow teams out but rarely did. The sloppy, undisciplined play has been the narrative this season, and with uh, with all the turnovers and penalties, USC has averaged almost eight penalties and over 70 penalty yards per game. Uh, they only had one game, Colorado, where they didn't turn the ball over at all. Uh, these are areas they have not improved on. After Sam leaves, do you see this team going 10-2 and two or better and winning at least a division if they keep playing this way? Should we lower our expectations, Robert and Virginia? Um, Robert, yeah, I mean, that's the... That's a $64,000 question. Can USC continue to do this if you don't have like a generational quarterback at Sam Darnold? And now some people say, hey, he hasn't played as well this year. He's turned the ball over more, um, which he certainly has. But I think he saved this team's bacon a lot of times too. Um, I, You know, it, I think it would be hard to play, to get that kind of record and play with as many mistakes as USC's had. But the talent gap I think is there. I think, you know, at least they're letting the talent kind of win some of these games and wherever the talent is. Um, I think that happens. Now there's breakdowns all over the place. There's penalties, there's turnovers, um, you know, but they are winning. So, but that's, that's the common theme. People are kind of questioning, Hey, they're 10 and two, but they're 10 and two, but, and I think, you know, if you look the way Clay Hilton answers some of the questions, um, it's funny. I asked him about special teams because they did extra special teams work uh, the week before UCLA. And they already do a lot of special teams work. And I would argue they were outperformed in probably all 11 games as far as special teams go. So they did some extra work, and they end up having that great play, uh, the one, you know, really the one memorable special teams play like all year. Like uh, even in the game, uh, what was it? I think Colorado, where they blocked two field goals, they got a punt block. So they, like, they, they prevented six points, but they gave up six, or they gave up seven by getting their punt block that almost got run into the, you know, for a touchdown, but basically put color on the doorstep. They just never really had like a net positive special teams game. Most of the have been below average um, or worse. And then this game was the one they had a, a really good one. And it's funny when I was asking Clay Helton about it, he was kind of talking about a lot of young guys on special teams. You could kind of hear some of the like excuses, I guess. Like he knew, I didn't say, Hey, special teams have sucked. Like I just asked him to rate them for the year because I know they've sucked and you know I wanted to hear what Clay Helton had to say and uh, he you know he basically said well there were a lot of young guys playing they're getting better and we worked on it more and blah 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 so um, and I just kind of feel like when you question like Dan will ask him about why is this team so bad on short yardage and he'll mention like well they've got them you know they're, they're averaging this many yards a game the most in how many years like I feel like he knows that the problems are there, but he's still trying to like kind of politically like say things in a way that's like, Hey, but this is good. And this is good. Um, so I think that's part of it is as a head coach though, he does have to realize like, there's not just, you're not just trying to make this a glowing thing. Like, it's not like you have a, it's like if it's a political thing and you have a philosophy, like whatever your party is, like this is your hard stance on it, guns or whatever it is. 
um, you have to kind of give a political reason about, you know, if, so, if something bad happens against what you stand for, you have to give some kind of political reason why that exists. But in this case, it's like, hey, if you're getting burned by corner, that uh, your corners are getting born, burned every week or you can't pick up short yardage, um, you're, you know, terrible as far as like third and one and fourth and one go. That's not like a stance that you have, like, I can't change my stance. That's something you can actually fix. Like, you can actually say, well, yeah, we've sucked at that, but here's what I'm going to do differently. So, and, you know, if it's feel like you, you're, whatever you're doing is your philosophy, you don't want to change what you're doing, that's being stubborn. Coaches can be stubborn all the time. And I, I would say that's, that's a bit of a problem. But at least I think a lot of the things are fixable. Unfortunately, they just haven't been fixed yet. I think if you... That's why it's so important in the offseason that some purging has to happen on the coaching staff. And then maybe you clean up some of these problems, you know. Uh, all right, kind of ramble on about that. Let's go to Don. I can see 10 and 2 right in the first couple words. After a 10 and 2 regular season, these are my humble thoughts on the Trojan football team. Your reactions. First, many of us expect perfection from this Trojan football team. The more we expect perfection, the more we will be frustrated and disappointed. They have flaws like every other team. Yeah, I don't know if it's about, I don't think they expect perfection, but they expect above average. And I don't think you've even seen that. And the fact that the team could play poorly a lot in large stretches and be 10 and two, I think that's where the frustration is. It's not like, well, you know, we had 550 yards, but we should have had 600 or, or whatever it is. It's like, no, there's, I mean, there's a lot of turnovers, a lot of penalties. It's not like, that's not expecting perfection, I would say, Don. Second, we have the luxury of being critics of the game, quote unquote, after the fact. The reality is coaches and players have to play the game in real time. We can sound like experts on every play only because we get to view it retrospectively. Okay, I completely disagree with this, Don. I mean, how many of the problems have we pointed out like during fall camp? Like if Dan and I, if we can see these things like, hey, you know what? That's a problem. Like, well, they're not practicing in full pads they're not tackling and then they go out and and don't play physical like that's not looking at it and like figuring it out after the fact that's something you said going into it you know i that's the part that's the real problem i think we have with and i think usc fans have with a lot of what they're seeing on the field is we've seen this stuff and we've pointed it out like us just watching practice we don't go to film rooms we're not you know we get to talk to players and stuff but we don't get to see what they see in the meetings and if we can see a lot of this stuff Ahead of time, you would think that these things are fixable and the coaches could fix. I mean, you want to get I I got to mention Tyler Vaughn's because that's my contract. No, I'm just kidding, but I had someone tweet this like to me yesterday when they were kind of having some Twitter fight arguing about this team, and and they brought up like, hey, look, Inside Troy has been telling us that Tyler Vaughn's is going to be a stud from last spring. Why did the coaches not see it? And why didn't he start? Like, Tyler Vaughn didn't start until game five. Like, in the spring, he was killing it. You know, he was a five-star coming out of high school. It took him a little while to transition. He was killing it in the spring, and you're like, oh, okay, this guy's going to be really good. Watch, you know, Just watch this. First two weeks of fall camp, he's killing it. And for some reason, he got demoted. And then Jalen Green was starting in a spot. And you're just like, now we were watching practice, didn't see anything, like, did he do something off the field? Did he, you know, and nothing. We never heard of anything like that. He's a really good kid. Not that really good kids can't do things that are wrong, but we'd never heard anything like that happening. That was a coach's decision. Like, they they prioritize someone that's older, that's been around more, as opposed to someone who's more talented and makes plays. And sometimes decisions like that work out, and sometimes they don't. But that's not, 
That's not saying, you know, uh, look, I told you, know, Tyler Vaughn, he's great. Why didn't the coaches start him? We've been saying that, you know, since the spring. So that's not a retrospective look at anything, Don. Okay. Third, one of the great legacies of this Trojan football team is that in spite of their flaws, they find ways to win when it counts. I agree with that. Uh, they don't play mistake-free football, and then they sometimes force unnecessary and they sometimes force unnecessary errors, but most often they have a kind of grit that leads them to win. Uh, no, I agree with that one. I, I mentioned that earlier. Finally, this 10-2 regular season has certainly had its frustrating times. It also has had its moments of sheer magic, joy, and delight. Proud to be a Trojan fan, Don. Yeah, Don, I don't want you to ever not be – I mean, you should be proud to be a Trojan fan. You should be happy with a 10-2 season. Like, I don't discourage people from – being happy, but I see where people are coming from that are really frustrated because of all the, the flaws and the, the mistakes, which I think a lot of them are correctable and, and kind of baffling that they haven't been in a lot of cases. Now there's, you know, you always have to make these big decisions and sometimes you decide, hey, you know, we're not going to practice that much because of this, because of that. But there's a consequence, you know, and sometimes you're like, well, maybe you should have practiced more and you take a risk of maybe a guy getting hurt because you, the whole team needs to practice more. Like, those are decisions you have to kind of weigh. And if you're saying like, you know, I probably, you know, I get the teams injured, I get the teams banged up, but I think they should be practicing this week leading, leading into the Pac-12 championship game instead of taking the week off. That's kind of my, that's my personal thought. I thought they should have been practicing two years ago, heading into the, the holiday bowl. They didn't practice a lot. We kept asking him how many practices and he kind of inflated the numbers and we, you know, we counted. There was like six practices or something heading into the bowl game. And they got, you know, they got embarrassed by Wisconsin. So that's like, hey, you know, you made a decision and it didn't quite work out. Um, so you're going to be second guessed on it. And the same thing's going to happen. Like they lose the Pac-12 championship game, by, you know, taking a week off. Now, it's hard to blame a team. They've had 12 weeks in a row. But could you have a couple practices? Could you do some stuff where it's just not like, you know, you're not overly taxing the guys? Do you do a full pads practice? That's going to be a good one uh, on Monday. One last full pads practice for the year or, you know, whatever, or, or before the bowl practices. We want to do that. I don't think they will, but, you know, talk to Dan. He thought they should. I kind of feel they should too. Uh, David from Behind the Orange Curtain. I am not educated enough in the intricacies of football, so I am struggling with our running game. Is it the OL or the scheme? Uh, if everyone in the stadium knows the running plan, how can the offensive line really excel? Uh it did not appear that UCLA was even loading the box. Uh, grumble, I don't get it. Uh, is it binary OL scheme or worse yet, both? Is it a binary offensive line or scheme or both? Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's, I think there's a lot of blame to go around there. You know, UCLA was averaging 302 yards uh, on the ground, giving up 302 yards on the ground. USC only managed 153, I believe it was. Like, Ronald Jones was fine, but he should have been a whole lot better. I think a lot of it is USC needed to be dedicated to the run more. Um, we've seen other teams stack the box. You know, UCLA stacked the box against um, Khalil Tate, and he ran all through them. They all ran all through them. Everybody's run through this UCLA defense. So, to me, I mean, that's coming down to – I'm not saying you – know, I'm not blaming the personnel because I would argue whatever guys USC has on offense are probably better than all the other teams that ran for 300 yards on UCLA. So – to me, that's more about scheme. That's more about what the coaches were doing, um, because you, you other teams could have take took worse personnel and ran for three hundred yards on UCLA. USC did not for some reason. So to me, that's it's like 
if I know the players are at least as talented or likely more talented than all those other teams, I mean, that UCLA got run over with, uh, USC needed to figure, coaches, that's what they get paid for to figure out a way to do that, and they didn't do it in this game. Laurie in Houston, do you think Lynn Swan will address the coaching during the offseason and force Clay Helton to let some of the staff go in favor of better coaches? The lack of discipline has to be coaching. The raw talent is there. Laurie, uh, yeah, kind of common theme. That's the big question for me. I kind of think he will. I think that there will be some things forced uh, upon Clay Helton, if, especially if they lose the Pac-12 championship game. If not, it might be harder for him to do, but I, th- I think enough people are in Lynn Swan's ear, and I think he's feels the same way that he's going to want some changes uh, made on the staff. And, you know, it's, you could argue, like if you look at a Justin Wilcox, so Clay Helton is a brand new head coach, right? This is his first time. Um, and I like T. Martin a lot. I think he's a great, you know, he's a great coach. He's a great recruiter. Um, but, you know, it was a tough spot for him to be in. He's a rookie offensive coordinator with a rookie head coach. Um, do you want, rookies in those kind of positions now Clancy's more of a seasoned vet at DC so that makes more sense but like Justin Wilcox gets for both of his coordinators he has to get former you know head coaches they were head coaches the year before and he brings those guys both in as his coordinators I think that helps you helps out a rookie head coach a lot more so I think there's some some hires that were familiar for Clay Helton that maybe weren't the best um, as far as you know could have helped him more and maybe at this point now, two years in, they make some upgrades. I think, you know, Dela McCullough has been a huge improvement um, in the running back room. Uh, you know, and I think you could do that in the secondary, some other places too. Marcel, I'm not justifying USC style of play over its uh, 12-game schedule, but how does the college football committee justify the SEC's schedule? In addition to getting a bye week, Alabama played a Division II Mercer opponent. Essentially, they have two weeks off during the season How's that fair to USC in the Pac-12? Should the Trojans put Azusa Pacific on their schedule? Marcel. Um, that's all about having uh, how many conference games you have. And I would like that to be more consistent. The SEC only plays eight conference games. They can play four non-conference games. And, and usually they play like a bye week one in November. Um, the Pac-12 plays nine. A bunch of the other ones play nine too. Um, but yeah, I... I think it should be consistent across the board. I would love to see the Pac-12 go to eight. Some people say, hey, that's never going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But I'd rather see, and I don't think you should play like, you know, Azusa Pacific, but give yourself uh, some more options as far as scheduling. Just when the Pac-12 get, beats itself up nine games and a conference championship game, um, that's tough. Like only, I think the Big Ten started doing that this year, um, but the, the Pac-12 was the only conference to be doing that before. Uh, let's see, Don, after a, a disappointing performance, quote, that's just USC, get used to it. Are we really saying, quote, that's Clay Helton's coaching, just get used to it? I've noticed Scott Wolf is consistently negative in all his USC reporting. Is that some past history between Scott and USC that would explain his negative reporting on USC football? Okay, so the first part, um, I mean, I, I think Dan's been pointing out, this is the way USC is. Like, that's this is how this team is. Now, at least it's a, the result is good at the end. Usually they win. But they're going to make mistakes like that. They're going to screw up. That's just kind of the the culture, the, the way this USC team is. And I think it's coming from the coaches and all that. So um, that's why I think there might be some or should be some changes made. And as far as Scott Wolf, um, yeah, I've known Scott for a long time. He's He went to USC. He's a USC alum. Um, 
I mean, that's that's his style. Like that, that's how he uh, reports on things. I think you get uh, a lot of people that you have to have to get your niche, and that's Scott's niche. You know, he's um, he's he's the way he is. But I don't think there's anything. I don't think it's something that USC did. I think whoever he covered, that's the way he would cover the team. But he's very familiar with USC. That's where he went. Okay, we got another one from uh, Geo in Charleston. It seems like Clay Hilton is more like Larry Coker than John McKay or Pete Carroll. For me, sports has always been a great metaphor for business. Everyone wants to be successful, but few leaders actually have the standards and the discipline necessary to enforce the standards to become exceptional. Very few leaders have the driver skill set to drive an organization to excellence and the relentless nature to maintain that focus. Unfortunately, Clay Hilton is a mature fellow who is not going to change. His personality is well-ingrained into his personality. Um, okay. Uh, his personality is ingrained into his personality. Uh, he is perfectly acceptable coach for a program which embraces an occasional 10-win season. I don't think that I am alone in my thinking and that many of the supporters uh, deeply hope that is not what USC finds acceptable. This morning, I'm not sure what AD uh, Athletic Director Lynn Swan finds acceptable. In a way, a lack of commentary could be taken as a approval of what we are seeing on the field. In my perfect world, AD um, would apply pressure to the coaching staff by publicly sharing that passion, discipline, focus, and exceptionalism of the core of Georgia football. Anything less is not on strategy or acceptable. Uh, There's a saying on Wall Street, the market can take good news and the market can take bad news. No news makes it crazy. Fight on. Thanks for allowing me to vent. By the way, last night my daughter told me she worked with your daughter at Yahoo years ago, and she was uh, terrific and talented. She also said you are pretty great yourself. Gio from Charleston. Um, I don't think she worked with my daughter since I don't have a daughter, Gio, but she might maybe work with my wife. My wife worked at Yahoo, so that could have uh, that could have been it. Um, yeah, and, and Lynn Swan, I think, was pretty clear. USC won the Rose Bowl last year, and his – uh, I think it was like his uh, Trojan football update, the email out. Um, you know, he was pretty clear that that's not what this team's about. It's about winning championships. So I think Lynn Swan's been, you know, I think there's some criticism for sure. And uh, a lot's going to depend on USC winning that game uh, next Friday in Santa Clara. Trojan Rick sent a text message. He said, hey, Ryan, this question's for you, uh, or for anyone willing to give an honest, straightforward answer to us diehards. Is there not a better option than Jack Jones or Biggie Marshall? If Clancy's dead set on playing these guys, why not go zone? It's obviously it's obvious to anyone watching the games uh, this year, man is not working. Why is there so much focus on T. Martin slash Tyson Helton, but no spotlight on Clancy's questionable decision-making? Thank you, Trojan Rick. Um, okay, so Clancy is Clancy. He's going to do his thing, and he's going to play the guys that are the best, and I think those guys are the best at corner. They've had a bunch of guys hurt, um, there's just not a lot of options. Not a lot of options at corner. I think they're the most talented guys. So those are the guys are going to play. Uh, but that's the way he plays. I think I'm going to do some numbers. Um, I think USC has their corners on islands much more than most others. So um, a lot of other teams do play more zone. They're playing things to kind of protect corners. That's not Clancy's mentality. It's definitely more of an NFL mentality. Like here's the scheme we're using, and you're expecting those guys to do their job. And unfortunately, um, they have not. Uh, on a lot of occasions. Thanks for that text, George and Rick. Uh, we got a text from DJ. Question for the podcast. Why is USC one of the most penalized teams in the nation? Uh, the notorious Pac-12 officials or Helton and company? I think a little bit of both. Um, 
Pac-12 officials call a lot of penalties. A lot of the Pac-12 teams are in the, you know, the top, whatever, or bottom 20 uh, of penalties. But yeah, USC, there's a lot of it that's self-inflicted too that you have to kind of fix and it hasn't been fixed yet. Uh, Jim B, hey guys, love the program. Keep up the great work. Rojo said, quote, we beat UCLA in my freshman and sophomore years and I expect to beat them in my junior and senior years. That's a paraphrase and I hope I'm getting the statement right. Are we to come to any conclusions from that statement? Like maybe he's staying that he's coming back for a senior year. Fight on, Jim B. Jim, I would not put any credence into any of that. Um, no, I don't think he said that and think he's coming back. My guess is, and he was very frustrated after the UCLA game, that would make him not want to come back even more. Fernando in Anaheim. Uh, long-time listener, first time writing in. Well, thank you for writing in, Fernando. I just listened to the playoff podcast you did solo and wanted to say this. The, uh, this is the, the year USC should want chaos and to make the playoff there's no one dominating team in the 2017 in my opinion oklahoma to me looks like the clear-cut favorite and they played a conference where they look like they play seven on seven every game but after that there's a lot of parody bama they've been hit by the injury bug on defense and hurts hasn't taken that next step as a passer miami they played down to teams and played tight games with the likes of unc georgia tech even toledo gave them a scare only solid win is against notre dame who, who dan doesn't think is very good well, USC got smothered by that team. So you're, you're talking about USC got crushed by a team that Miami beat pretty good. Um, so I would say, not that the transitive property always works, but that's that's stuff I've seen on the field. Clemson, not the same team on offense without Watson. Defense is still solid. USC's goal every season should be to win the Pac-12 and compete for a national title if that's where they rank at the end of the year. Secondary, New Year's Six Bowls are nice, but national titles are better. Fernando and Anaheim. No one's going to argue that national titles are not better. I would contend, and that's what I've said, and I'll say it again, that this is not a national title contending team. Uh, could they? You know, they could. But I just feel they'd be better off to make a New Year's Six Bowl. Now, if USC gets stuck playing like an Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl, in that case, that's not, you know, I'd rather I'd rather play Ohio State than Bama this year, but... With Bama, it's like they're like, oh, they've got injuries, blah, blah, blah. Well, have they lost? No. Like, I don't think they're going to lose. I think they're going to – I kind of think Bama's going to win the title this year. Um, we'll see. But I, I don't think it would go well for USC playing Alabama in the playoff. I don't think it'll go that well playing Ohio State either, even though that team's got a couple losses. But, um, you know, that's, that's a tough one in the Fiesta Bowl. I'd rather, you know, USC get someone a little bit more manageable in the Fiesta Bowl. But that's closer to being in a playoff in that case. Lamar said, hello, Georgia fans. Unlike pro football, college football has not and probably can't make parity happen. Pro football uses a draft and college football teams can sign all or as many of the best players as possible, i.e. Alabama. In the past, we've seen the talent shift throughout the regions and some regions either utilize the talent to match the system they run or wait for player development in that area of concern. Currently, the South has all of the beef on the lines and the kids usually stay home. What do you think can be done to create parity for the game, if anything? And how was Pete able to get the kids to come west? Lamar. Well, I think we talked about this with Gerard a lot, Martinez, our national recruiting analyst, that, yeah, like there's better quarterbacks in California, you know? So if you get a guy, a quarterback in Florida, maybe you have to develop him a little bit more. Not everybody, but, you know, just a lot of cases. Um, You're finding guys like, like a Chad Wheeler just got his first start in the NFL. Um, I mean, I covered him when he was in high school. He was 
255 pounds playing defensive end and offensive tackle. And, you know, he developed into uh, a good tackle on the offensive side. And, you know, he's playing in the NFL. So sometimes it's about scouting and development as opposed to not as many 305-pound dudes that can run a 4.65 uh, grow on trees out here uh, where they do more in the South. So it's about being able to identify guys. Uh, you've seen like a Malik Dorton adjust. Um, you've seen Christian Rector. You know, he was a you know 250-pound kid or something in high school uh, or less than that and and develop into a, you know, a really effective defensive end for USC. So I think it's not just about getting kids out of certain regions. It's about developing the kids that you can get um, and knowing that you have to do that and not expecting to find dudes that are 6'5", you know, 295 and uh, run like the wind uh, in Southern California. So you get a Rasheem Green, he's kind of rare and you got to make sure he's a priority and USC got him, you know, so he's been really good for USC. But you don't see as many Rasheem Greens here as you do uh, in the South, I would say. And as far as creating parity, there's no organization that's trying to create that. I think the Pac-12 tries to create that among its teams, which is a detriment to teams like USC and Washington because they're the teams at the top and they're trying to make the playoff and they schedule you so it's like everyone's got an equal chance, which isn't what the SEC does. Like the SEC is not going to try to put any roadblocks between Alabama making uh, the college football playoff. They're just not going to do it because that's their the bell cow team. And the Pac-12 does the exact opposite. Like they, they'll put Washington on the road on a Friday night. They'll put USC on the road Friday night, short week following a road game. Um, not saying like, you know, the SEC would obviously never do that, but if anything kind of came close to that, they're going to give Alabama the benefit of the doubt. They're not going to like try to hurt Alabama's chances of making the playoff if it's the obvious team that's going to make it. So I think for USC and, and Washington and some of the big schools in the Pac-12, they, they're fighting an uphill battle with that. So I think the Pac-12 is trying to create parity. I don't think you can create parity overall in college football. Matt F. says, uh, of all the freshmen that are getting playing time, is there one particular that seems to have uh, greatly improved over the course of the season? Ooh. Uh, so if you're talking like true freshmen, I mean, like my favorite freshman I mentioned is Tyler Vaughn's always. Uh, he's been, you know, but I think he's been good from the beginning. They just didn't play him as much. I don't know about he's improved, but he's improved as far as like run after the catch. I didn't, I didn't expect him to be as good as that where he can break tackles and stiff arm guys and, and keep going. I know he's great at high pointing the ball and making catches, and that's what I want to see out of my receivers. Uh, I think Andrew Voorhees, like the the fact that he's had to start so much, and uh, I think he's playing pretty well along the offensive line. I think he's you know, a true freshman there. I like what Marlon Tuipiloto was doing, but he got hurt and he's he's out for the season. And uh, Stephen Carr got hurt a lot too, but probably Voorhees just like he was kind of thrown into that role, and I think he's done a really good job. We got one last one, Stephen Seattle guys. What are they saying in the locker room at halftime? Is Helton too nice and Clancy bringing his deed down by saying they're carrying the load so the offense can pull it out? Uh, it's every game this year. Third quarter fail. Steven Seattle. Um, okay, so yeah, the third quarter thing. I don't know what they're saying at the halftime, but it doesn't seem to be working. USC's really bad, really, really bad in the uh, in the third quarter. So um, I don't know why. Uh, that is, and it's it's hard, you know. That's something that you need to to address and change. But they they've just really, really not been good in the uh, in the third quarter. And I'm not. I, it's it's really hard to say why. 
Um, we just don't know. And I've asked guys about like what they say. And, um, you know, I, I think someone mentioned like maybe scripting plays to start the, you know, after you start the game, do the same kind of thing in the second half. Maybe that's something that would work too, but it's just not flowing right. And I think it starts at the top and you get the coaches have to realize that. And like, you, you have to admit it's a problem and do something different to change. Not just like, well, we like what we do, so we'll just try to make it work. And I think that's more what they're doing as opposed to doing something different, if that makes any sense. All right. Woo. So we went an hour solo podcast. Uh, a lot of talking for me early in this week of Thanksgiving. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm sorry again. Keely couldn't join us. We got kind of got it ready. We're going to do a live show with Chris Trevino, which will probably have already happened by the time you get this. Uh, but... You can see that on uscfootball.com as well. Chris and I will be talking for another hour, kind of talking and answering your questions and talking about what's going on. But I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Parasol Podcast. I think we're going to try to do a recruiting podcast this week, maybe Wednesday um, as well. But that'll be this will be our last kind of team podcast. It's a bye week, so we'll we'll kind of rest on that. We we did our best to answer all the questions you guys have sent in, talk about it, and uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. This is the Parastyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.